Thanks for listening to another episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. There are lots of variables that make each job search unique, but one commonality across the board is that you must have a resume, and preferably one that makes you stand out. If you Google resume tips or what to include and what not to include in your resume, you'll find lots of great advice, but I wanted to bring you a podcast that was a comprehensive one-stop shop for everything you need to know about creating a standout resume. My guest for today's show is Mike Wood, a former Marine and seasoned recruiter with Orion. Mike gives some valuable input on a variety of topics related to resumes, including tailoring your resume for each job you apply, the importance of keywords, and the best format to use based on your background. We also have a variety of resources online that I'd encourage you to check out if you think your resume could use some tweaks. Check out the podcast description on whatever listening platform you prefer, and we'll include the link there. If you have any questions about this podcast, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hey, Mike, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, Megan, thank you. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Definitely. And you're always one of my favorite people to have on because I feel like you bring a ton of knowledge to the table. You've been at Orion for a long time. You're a veteran yourself. And so you really have um, a, a wide range of things that you can speak to and you know both sides of it. So the topic I want to talk about today is just really all about resumes. I feel like there's a lot of noise surrounding this topic in terms of how long your resume should be, how to make it visually appealing without being distracting. Do I need to tailor my resume for each job I apply to? That's one that you hear all the time. So you've been doing this, like I said, for a long time. You know what gets people noticed on a resume and what doesn't. So I want to talk to you that a little bit more, but I'd love for you to introduce yourself quickly for anyone who's listening for the first time. Sure. So my name's Mike Wood. I'm a former Marine officer. I served for seven years from 2000 to 2007. Uh, graduated from Virginia Tech and from Richmond, Virginia originally. I've been working here at Orion now for 12 years. I would say that the majority of my time has been spent recruiting for staff and TOs and officers for leadership and project management roles. I have done some technician recruiting as well. And uh, I've always been located in Raleigh, North Carolina, covered Northeast territory at one point and, uh, you know, for about 10 years have been covering the Southeast territory. Very cool. And like I said, you've been on the podcast several times, so some people may have heard you, or if they haven't heard you yet, they've probably worked with you at some point if they're in that region. So, um, you know, just jumping into this, I want to talk about some of the frequently asked resume questions, because I know that you probably get these a lot working with transitioning service members. And so what I, th what I thought I would do is just play the part of a candidate that you're working with and ask you the question. And then you can kind of just tell me what response you would typically have for a job seeker, knowing that, of course, this topic, like most of the topics we cover on the show, are not one size fits all. But generally, I know that you'll have some advice for it. So the first one I'll ask is, how long should my resume be? Yeah, that's a... Again, you, you've already alluded to this. I mean, it, it's a very opinionated topic, resumes in general. You ask 10 people, you might get 15 different opinions. So, uh, so I would say, first and foremost, it depends on the setting. Uh, if you're going to a career fair or something of that sort, you, you want to keep it short and to the point because you need to be able to make that impact very quickly. If you're applying to a job online, you may need some more detail because you need to capture the keywords and, and need to be able to make sure that whatever search algorithm that computer's using, it has what it needs to find you. 
in general, to answer your question, I would say it's 100% fine to have two pages. If you have less than five years of experience, though, it'd probably be tough to justify that. So a military officer or a uh, first-term enlistee that is transitioning out with that four or five-year range, you know, again, that's probably one pages. But for everybody else, I can see two pages being acceptable 100%. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good point you bring up with, you know, when you don't have a lot of experience, it's hard to justify the length of that resume because then you kind of get into some of the other things we'll talk about here where if you're looking at the resume objectively or if you have somebody else look at it, chances are you've probably included a lot of things that you didn't necessarily need to include. Maybe it's a little bit too wordy. It's going to make it harder for somebody to scan it and pull out some of those keywords. So really, I think that, like I said, it, it kind of depends on your background. But like you said, two pages is acceptable. I think um, before I started working here, so this, it's been about six years now, that was probably the last time I was really up to date on my resume. It was, I think most people thought it really should just be one page. So maybe that's kind of where this question comes from a lot is because a lot of people have always heard that one page, but you also don't want to discount or not include some of the things that you've done in the past that would be important just because it would be two pages. Yeah, and I think that a lot of recruiters over the years recommend one page because if you're afraid that the hiring manager or the recruiter, whoever it may be, won't flip the page number two to, uh, to see you know what you've done and, and what your accomplishments are there. Well, the way that resumes are written, you're going in a reverse chronological order. So they should be able to, no matter what, see what you've done lately. That should be on page one. And then on page two, of course, maybe some of the historical information if you have, again, more than five years of experience. What we often see, and the reason why I think uh, two pages is my norm, normal recommendation for most folks that are transitioning out, is because we'll see resumes that are six pages long. We'll see resumes 10 pages mm -hmm. long. So you need to make sure that you're at least condensing it down to the essence of your experience. You don't necessarily have to list everything. So, uh, so you're absolutely right. You know, one page was kind of the norm. Things have evolved a little bit. I think two pages is 100% acceptable and definitely, definitely nothing longer because at that point, you know, you're probably putting superfluous information in there. Mm -hmm. And you know what, you, without even knowing it, alluded to one of the other frequently asked questions, which was, should my resume be written in chronological or functional formatting? And so you had mentioned reverse chronological format. I know that's what we typically recommend. Can you, for anyone who's listening to this and maybe doesn't necessarily know what that means, can you tell them a little bit about what that means and why that's uh, kind of a best practice of ours? Sure, absolutely. So let's just use me personally as an example. I have seven years of experience in the Marine Corps, 12 here at Orion. So 19 years of experience that I could put on a resume today. I don't want to list that Marine Corps experience on page one because in some ways it's ancient history. I hate to say that about myself, but, uh, but it, it was 19 years ago that I started. So I think that the best way to illustrate it is, again, you want to show the employer what you've done lately. And so starting in reverse chronological order, I would then show my experience that I have in my current role. And then I would back up to, you know, after that, uh, down the page, I back up to the role that I held previous to that. Now on page two, I'm probably getting into my experience in the Marine Corps, which is valuable for the employer to know that's where I came from, that I graduated in 2000, and, and I have this experience now. 
and so it's just uh just filling in the gaps that I was served in the Marine Corps as an officer in both recruiting and logistics. But uh but it's not the most essential information because I'm not applying to those types of jobs today. I'm applying to the types of jobs that would leverage the experience that I've held recently or gained recently here at Orion. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes perfect sense. Well, the other type that I mentioned was a functional resume. So that would essentially just be uh, more skills-based. You're focusing on information that's most relevant to the particular role. So I guess in that sense, um, it's not necessarily the, you know, the format that you just described, but is that one of the ones that you see people coming to you commonly with, or is there a different type? Like maybe people are doing chronological order versus reverse chronological order? So first, I mean, most people are giving me resumes that are in reverse chronological order, but maybe it's a little bit too long, or maybe the information, which I'm sure we'll talk about more, doesn't really help sell their experience. Uh, There will be the occasional resume that's in chronological order, but that's an easy fix. You just copy and paste and move things around, and and I'll give that person that advice. Now, the functional or skills-based resume actually has a ton of value. And I'm actually going to confuse people a little bit here because I mentioned I have 19 years of experience, but I personally would not use a functional resume because I've consistently been in recruiting for the past, let's see, uh, 15 years. So my chronological resume would have a lot of, uh, a reverse chronological resume would have a lot of consistency leading from one position to another. But the people that should use that skills-based resume actually a lot of military veterans in particular that have 15 plus years of experience, this would be a great resource for them because they've been, you know, potentially a, let's say uh, a leader. They've been in a staff role. Maybe they went from, let's just, you know, hypothetically say an artillery unit to a recruiting unit or to a uh, training unit or something of that sort. So the point is, is there, as we all know in the military, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, moved around a bit, and it's not necessarily as you know, linear as my experience as a recruiter, that's when you want to start tying it together for the reader by using the skills that are like going through all of those positions. So if uh, attention to detail, let's just say, and I'm making that up, is a constant theme that you have had in all of those roles, and that's relevant for the job you're applying for, Maybe that's important to highlight right up front on page one. So verbally describing the skills-based resume is a little bit difficult, uh, but we have some great examples of it that would help those, again, with more than 15 years of experience, and maybe they've hopped around a little bit because the military moved them from point A to point B into different types of units. Uh, that could be a great, uh, a great method to show that kind of, um, I guess, that consistency of skills that they've owned over the 20-plus years of service that they've had. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's a good explanation. Like you said, we definitely have examples. So when we post this podcast, we'll make sure to link to where we've got that resource on our website. Um, one of the other questions is about personal summaries. So a lot of people, you can call them different things, um, objective statements, a personal summary. And it, um, typically people include it at the top of the resume. Is that something that you recommend doing or does it kind of just depend? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it depends, but I would recommend you do it, uh, again, as long as it's essential, or essential is the wrong word, as long as it adds value. If you've got two pages to work with, again, for those that have 
you know, five plus years of experience, or for those with less, one page to work with, then, you know, is that summary going to tell the reader something of value? Now, also keep in mind, there's two types of readers. Yeah, I don't know if this is good for me to say, but I'm probably not going to read it personally. The, uh, the human recruiter may not actually take the time to read that paragraph. They're going to jump right into the roles that you held. They want to know what you did, not how you summarize what you did. Uh, but the computer may read that. So there could be some value if, you know, there's some additional keywords or terms that you weren't able to get into the body of the resume that you could just make sure that they're in there in the uh, summary so that if the searcher, the computer algorithm, whatever, is looking for someone with SAP experience, you just have one more chance to put that in your resume. So again, that, that's where it comes to be a very, you know, just a case-by-case -case situation depending on how uh, you, you can write your resume effectively. Mm -hmm. And you said several things there that I think we'll follow up on later, but the one thing that I want to call out is just that you said it depends as long as it adds value. And I think that that's sort of the overlapping theme for really anything that we talk about here with what to include on your resume is that it just provides such a brief snapshot of who you are, what you've accomplished, what you can bring to the table that you don't want to waste the limited space that you have. Like you said, a lot of recruiters, you're not unlike many others that aren't really going to spend a lot of time on, I think, on really just diving into a resume in general. I think I one time saw a statistic that um, maybe said like six seconds or something for an average recruiter to scan your resume. So, you know, I know with candidates that you're working with, you, of course, spend more time looking at the resume than that, but not not everybody does. So, you know, you might do that, but somebody at a company, especially someone with no military experience, they really might not spend that much time on your resume. They're just scanning it to see what jumps out at them. And so I think that was a good response that you had regarding the um, personal statement at the top and just whether or not you actually need it. And you mentioned the computers and how they kind of pull out keywords. So we're going to talk about that one a little bit later too. Um, but the last question I want to talk with you about in terms of the frequently asked questions, because I feel like you probably get this one a lot, is just how important is it to tailor my resume for each job that I apply to? Because I think that's something you see so consistently. If you just Google resume best practices, resume tips, that's something you'll see on every single article. And I, I don't think that a lot of people do that, especially depending on the volume of jobs that you're applying to. But what is your general um, advice for someone who asks you this? Sure. And first of all, it is to tailor your resume. But before we dig into that, well, when you come to an Orion hiring conference, people will ask, well, I'm interviewing for a leadership job, a project management job, and a sales job. How do I tailor my resume? Well, remember that what we're coaching the employers on, and, and thus by extension, looking for in your resume is a track record of achievement. So your base resume, before you make any tailors to it for any specific position, should show that no matter what you've done, no matter what role you've been in, that you've been successful, that you can highlight key quantifiable achievements. So if you start with that, that's what you would use at a hiring conference, and that's what you could use to apply to a job without tailoring. But as I mentioned, you definitely want to tailor it. The, the reason, so understand the why behind everything, just like the, um, the resume piece, right? If I get a resume in my inbox, I'm going to take a quick look at it to determine, you know, okay, I think this person has 
relevant job titles. I'm not going to read the summary. I'm not going to read all the, all the details in it because I'm trying to make a decision. Do I want to get on the phone so I can really understand if this person's a good fit for the job? So then you start thinking about, well, how did I get that resume in the first place? I probably did a search or, you know, maybe uh, it was in our database. Maybe it was on LinkedIn. And how did I conduct that search? I used the job description. So I looked at the job description to make some decisions on what keywords I was going to look for. Uh, maybe it was a uh, general accounting principles, let's just say, for example, or you know, someone that has experience with programmable logic controllers. So point being is I'm looking for that, and then I'm going to do my search on whatever platform that I'm using. That's why it's important for you to tailor your resume. If you look at the job description and it says something to the extent of, experience leading uh, matrix teams and you were a ops officer in the military at the brigade level or something of that sort that's what you did you may not have understood that term at that time but you were leading matrix teams so you want to make sure that your your uh, job description in your resume says ops officer uh, brigade ops officer etc responsible for leading matrix teams so that when I do that search, I have a higher likelihood of finding your resume. So that's why it's super important to tailor your resume when you're, when you're uh, applying to jobs. But of course, we all know sometimes applying to jobs online can be a little bit like a playing roulette. Um, you know, networking is more valuable and, and getting face-to-face -face is more valuable like at our hiring conferences. But if you're going through that you know, time and effort to apply to a job, definitely take the time to tailor it. It will increase your chances of, of winning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So then, Mike, when somebody does come to a conference, you know, there's obviously not really going to be a lot, if any, tailoring of their resume when it comes to that. But, uh, you know, I would think employers, of course, are understanding because they know the situation. They know that a candidate's interviewing potentially with, you know, 10 different companies. They're not going to have the time in that structure to be able to update their resume for each one. So in that case, do you make sure that, you know, obviously you're matching the candidates with the jobs that they'll be interviewing for. So do you just make sure that their resume kind of, you know, I guess puts them at least in that group that would do well based on, you know, what, whatever their, I, I don't want to say generic, maybe like their baseline resume looks like. Yeah. So that's the, the, I guess the job of what we call the matrix writer or the lead recruiter for the event. So we're speaking with the candidates and we're talking through their background and understanding their resume. We're coaching them on making that resume that, that, uh, that I referred to earlier that shows that track record of achievement. But then what we're doing is we're also telling the companies to, to trust our experience with pre-screening the candidates so that when we're representing candidates to them at the conference, it's not about the resume. It's all about that face-to-face -face interaction. We're, of course, the companies are going to have your resume. They're going to get electronic copies. But we're telling the employers, trust our recommendation. Sit down with this candidate for 45 minutes. You will be impressed. So that's why it's important to, uh, to make sure that whatever document that we're using for your resume just follows that, that track record of achievement, the accomplishment-based model so that they can see that no matter what your background is, you've been very successful. 
Mm-hmm. And in general, if somebody is planning on attending a conference and they have not done so yet, so maybe this is they've got one coming up, it's their first one, is, would they generally expect to have the resume feedback from their recruiter and have their resume ready to go by the time they get to conference? Yeah, so I, I think that most people do this, and when I say people, the different offices do this uh, similarly. What we do in the Southeast, we uh, we ask for your resume, we go over it, I'll, I'll review it, I'll then provide it to our assistant. Our assistant will make sure that it's in a good, easy-to-read format, semi-consistent with other candidates. That way the employer's not trying to figure out each resume once they're reading it, that they at least have some consistency. And then we provide that resume back to you so that you know what document we're using to uh, to represent your background. That way, if there are any concerns or any updates that you have, we can keep our master copy uh, up to date at all times. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at a resume critically, let's just say that a candidate says, hey, Mike, I want you to check out my resume. I'm going to send it to you. And it's not for a specific job. So we're not talking about looking at keywords or anything. They just want you to basically scrub it and make sure that it's in the order and format and things like that. What would you say is the first thing that you notice when you look at a resume? Like what jumps out to you? General appearance is the first thing. Um, and, and I know that's super subjective. So I know it's hard to uh, to tell people you know, it should look like this or that. Plus, especially in 2019, there's a lot of new ideas popping up about how to write resumes. And I've seen some very interesting ones uh, over the past couple of years. But the reason why I say general appearance, obviously, if you're applying to a project management role where you're going to be consistently um, producing written documents for your employer or for your customer, if your resume looks like a mess, I have a huge red flag right off the bat, right? And when I say a mess, not the content at all, just the way things are aligned, the font, uh, the simple stuff that you, know, you really need to just take the time to make sure it's consistent and professional looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's stuff that, you know, not everybody, I'm in marketing, so I feel like I'm pretty skilled in the, um, you know, Microsoft Word, Excel, things like that, but not everybody really you know, there's some things that can be tricky, even someone who's good at it like me, there's sometimes where like a bullet point's not aligned or something like that. So there are things that can be a little bit tricky, but just spending a few extra minutes to figure out to make sure all of your bullets are aligned, that there's no, you know, some fonts are 12, some are 11 or 10, something like that, just to make sure that it looks consistent, like you said, throughout, because that is something that typically people's eyes are drawn to is when something looks out of place. Absolutely. And, you know, back to your comment about we're not all word experts and things like that. I mean, you're absolutely right. And that's the second thing that I look for is how complicated does the person make this resume? So what I mean by that is, you know, some people will use text box, uh, the text boxes, I guess I should say. Um, And they are, um, you know, a little bit difficult for some systems to read. So a good example would be headers. If you put your contact information in a header, it may be a little bit easier for you to format, but it makes it more difficult for some databases, depending on their age and their complexity, to actually read inside that header. So you can put a resume in a database and your header gets stripped off. So my point is, is keep your formatting simple. Use the the simple things like a, a tab hole, a tab uh, marker so that 
this is going to keep everything aligned because I'm going to have everything start here. Don't use headers. Don't use a bunch of text boxes. I mean, things of that sort so that you can just use Word in its most simplistic form. It will both be easier for you to set it up and it'll be easier for those different databases to read it. Mm -hmm. And I know that this isn't really what most of our jobs are, but I know like, you know, for instance, if you're applying for like a job as a graphic designer or something like that, then yeah, maybe a more creative and visually appealing resume is going to set you apart. But for most of the positions, especially most of the ones we have, um, it's definitely not necessary and can be distracting. And like you said, it just kind of increases your cha your chances of the formatting getting messed up. Say someone wants to print it, um, you just, you kind of want to, eliminate those variables as much as you can. Mike, do you ever see anybody do anything um, just kind of crazy, like, I, don't, I won't say crazy just in case anyone listening likes to do things like that, but creative, I should say, or has anyone ever included their picture or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see pictures, we see a lot of colors, uh, we'll see uh, some graphics that are put in there. And to your point, a lot of it depends on the role. I mean, that's, that's true. Uh, but, you know, I think that what managers of your average leadership position, technician position, project management role, sales role even, what they're looking for more is the content in a clear and easy to read format. So again, if you're applying to a graphic design role or something very artistic, sure, you know, you know do that. But with us and the types of jobs you're applying to, keep it simple because the simpler you keep it, the easier it is for the manager to read it because, again, for a leadership role in construction, it's not going to impress them that you, know, you have a, a, a very graphically designed resume. That's not going to help you get the interview. Whether or not you have the experience is what's going to help you get the interview. Because mm -hmm, I'm sure that there are lots of tools out there and even free tools that you can plug in your information and they'll create like a fancy infographic and all of those things. But like you like you said earlier, it's just does it add value? And in most cases, the answer is no. Um, right. You know, one thing just kind of in line with what we're talking about with formatting resumes, you've said this already, but Orion obviously helps all of our job seekers that we're actively working with um, to format their resumes. So. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And for anyone who's listening that maybe has not worked with Orion to format their resume, just what they could expect. So really essentially, what is the extent of the reformatting that we're doing? I know we're not writing resumes for anybody. So what could they expect in terms of the level, I guess, of reformatting and us cleaning it up for them? Sure. So I guess that's going to be very office dependent uh, first, but what I think that we have as a standard across the company is that you have you know, the guarantee that you'll get access to our resources and you'll get your recruiter's opinion. Now, that's, a, that's the minimum expectation I think ever, every candidate should expect. Our resources include resume writing guides. They include sample resumes, many of which are broken down by different backgrounds. So that if you're a, a nuke mechanic, you can look at a, a good nuke mechanic resume. Um, make sure you're asking your recruiter for those things. They have access to them. If they don't know where it's at, uh, you can always tell them, hey, call Mike Wood and he'll show you where it's at. But, uh, but the point being is that uh, that's the minimum expectation. Now, as you head into interviewing for a job or coming to a conference and things of that sort, then 
you know, what recruiters will do first and foremost is make sure that that resume is aligned in a, in a way where it's easy to read, right? I've already emphasized that a bit. We'll give you opinions on your content if we think that something needs improvement, but we're not going to change your content because the moment that we do, we're going to misstate something and it's going to actually, you know, be negative rather than a positive for you. So what you can expect is that we'll take that time to format it so it's easy to read. If we think that your content is off the mark or needs improvement, we're going to send it back to you and say, can you give me some more like achievement bullets here? Can you give me something that's a bit more quantifiable? And then as we head into a conference, what we typically do is we'll add, you know, some simple steps to it, like the Orion logo. So the, the employer, when they get that printed copy, you know, remembers and knows that, hey, this is from that Orion conference that I attended and uh, along with those other things that we've already covered. Definitely. Yeah, I think those are all very good points. So I, I mentioned we would get back to this earlier. Um, just the idea of everyone knows how hard it is to apply for a job online. I mean, you never know if someone's actually going to see it. It's kind of like you can apply. They make it so easy to apply to so many jobs in such a short amount of time, which is great. But then you wonder what's the return actually going to be. So that's something that, you know, of course, most companies, especially, especially larger corporations, they'll use an applicant tracking system where um, they can put in information that will help them weed out resumes before they even have to see them. And keywords is going to be huge here. And I know that that's something that um, especially, you know, companies always say, make sure that you're tailing your resume. You said that earlier, especially if, like we said, if it's not at a conference and you're just doing like a one-off job application. You want to make sure that you're using those keywords. So really what I wanted to ask you was just if you can give a little bit more advice that you would, I guess, really advise candidates on the use of keywords. So how specific should they make their keywords? Um, should they focus more on hard skills, soft skills, both? What do you think about this one? Yeah, good question. So I've I'm going to start with the last thing you said, hard skills, soft skills. I would definitely focus on the hard skills as much as possible because, you know, let's say a job description says someone that has strong attention to detail. Well, most people could just throw that on their resume and, and uh, you know, it's easy, right? You, do, you don't need to prove it right off the bat. So try to focus in on tailoring for the things that may be a bit more tangible. And I used that example earlier of, you know, experience in a matrix uh, leadership environment or something of that sort. So I, I guess what I would do if I were applying to a job online tomorrow is go through that job description. Maybe I'm printing out maybe a Google Doc or whatever, but just highlighting the, the terms that I feel like are important to the job and that I have good evidence and examples of this is what I've done. Because you can never fake the phone. The moment you do, trust me, you'll get caught, right? So uh, maybe not on day one, or maybe not in the interview, but maybe four months into the job when they're like, hey, you said you could do this. So make sure that you're always truthful, of course. But go through that, that job description, look for those things that you have experience doing, and then maybe you look back at your resume and you say, all right, well, maybe instead of titling this ops officer, I'm going to title it project manager. So my experience at, you know, whatever unit at Camp Lejeune. I'm going to change the title of what I was done doing there. The essence is still the same. The responsibility was still the same, but the term is going to change. 
and then you look through the body of that description that you you uh, you have for that ops officer role, and you look for the terms or the the things that you can insert in there that will more closely align for what that uh, that job description says the responsibilities are. Again, the the role matches. You're just helping translate your uh, your background to that role, so that the you know computer, the recruiter, whoever's actually performing that screening action can still find your resume. So uh, so that's it's really I guess general topic. It's easy for me to give you that big picture advice because it's it's really going to be in the details, the details of mm-hmm. how you go about looking in that job description and looking at your resume and what you can tweak. No, but I really like the advice and, um, you know, the guidance that you just provided about printing out the job description, printing out your resume, highlighting, seeing what translates, and especially being critical about it and, you know, being truthful with yourself. What is it in this job description that truly aligns with what I've done or what I would like to do? You have to make it as seamless as you can so it doesn't look like you've just copy and pasted words from their job description and just, you know, dropped them into your resume. Um, It's almost like, you know, then you just, you run the risk of sounding like someone who's walking around just trying to use buzzwords and things that you don't actually know what they mean just so that, you know, people pay attention and recognize you. And you don't want to do that. I mean, at the end of the day, the keywords are a way that you can kind of trick, I guess I would say, the bots of the ATS and at least get through that first round to where your resume is not ruled out. But at the same time, like you said, the truth always comes out. So if you say that you can do something on your resume and then you get into an interview and they ask you to elaborate on it, I mean, that's the surefire way to not get the job when they find out that you were lying about that. Right. And you know what? When you were just talking there, a light bulb clicked. You know, a lot of resumes are laid out with that summary at the top, and then people will put, like, nine, uh, nine you know, skills and bullets under that. And uh, maybe it's six, whatever. It just depends on the resume. And you said something about tailoring it seamlessly. So you're exactly right. Don't go into those bullets and change those, and that's it. You, know, you plug in matrix leadership as one of those bullets. That's, that's not as impactful as, you go into the body of your your resume and you go to where you actually had that type of experience and change those terms there because what what I'll do and and again I'm not every recruiter right we're all different there's a bunch of different ways to do this job but what I'll do is if I find a couple of resumes that I think are a fit and then I'm like well I don't know why this person pulled up as a fit then I'll do a quick find keyword on that resume and find where was it at. And so then I can find it and read what did they do in in this type of environment uh, from that section of their resume where they're highlighting it. So that's why you want to try and put it in seamlessly, just like you said. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the keywords, that's one thing, but, and you might do the, you know, you might find it and see what it is they're talking about. They need to have something to back it up to prove that they actually did that or else it just comes across as a buzzword. Right. On that note, this is the most, and I don't know if you were going to ask me this question, but it's a good segue with the way that you uh, just said that. The way I recommend resumes be written, and I would say Orion recommends that resumes be written, is that you follow a consistent theme. So let's just say, for example, that, um, you know, I was a platoon commander from 2001 to 2002, right? 
so what I want to do is I want to list platoon commander 2001, 2002, United States Marine Corps, some type of you know, easy to read, simple heading. Then I want to describe what that role was in a two to three sentence paragraph. So that may be where I use that example of matrix leadership so many times today. Uh, that may be where I include uh, the key term of uh, matrix leadership or, or something of that sort. But I'm telling my responsibility. And then what you just said was back it up, right? I can back it up that that was my responsibility. But the next question I ask as a recruiter, well, did this person do a good job with that responsibility? That's where your bullets can come into play. Anywhere that you can show in those bullets, not what your job was, but how you did in that job. So something that says like uh, saved, you know, my employer a 25% year over year budget. I'm just making it up off the cuff, but rank number one platoon commander out of, out of six. Yeah, those types of bullets are really what's going to take me from, okay, this person says they have matrix leadership experience. Bullet number one says um, that in this role, they were rated the top, you know, ops officer in the battalion. Well, now I'm starting to see that this person not only has the experience, but they were really good at it. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the way to take it from a good resume to a great resume. Uh, when I get it, I can see that you've done it and you did it well. Do you think, um, just based on you saying that, I feel like maybe the military experience lends itself well to having um, those quantifiable kind of bullets to um, back up statements like that. Do you agree with that? Or maybe I don't have military experience, but I, I feel like when I see civilian resumes versus military resumes, it seems as though it maybe it's because of coaching from the recruiters, but it seems as though it's easier to add those quantifiable numbers as well to the military resumes. You know, that's a, a good question. I would say a lot of it depends on the job you have in the military. So if I'm, a, uh, if I'm an infantry officer, let's just say, it's about mission accomplishment. You know, there's not a lot of uh, percentages. You, don't, you might not manage a budget. You probably aren't worried about maintenance readiness. So that person might have a much more difficult time showing some quantifiable bullets that they have. So for those that may fit into that category, know that you can include things like from your evaluation, rated by the battalion commander as the top platoon commander within the unit. Now that, that's quantifiable. You can absolutely put it in there. Awarded the Navy Achievement Medal for performance in this role. That's quantifiable. You can definitely do that. Quantifiable in the sense of you were given an award for your work. Now, other MOSs, you know, maybe you're in a maintenance environment uh, where or logistics environment where you are working a lot more with uh, with percentages of percent readiness or dollar amounts or whatever it may be. You know, that may be a more natural segue to show some of those quantifiable achievements and, and accomplishments. So sometimes you'll the I guess end result is you know it can be difficult for some some MOSs. You just have to think creatively. Where can you show something that's quantifiable? Maybe it's quantifiable to the Marine Corps, but not necessarily a dollar or percentage or you know something of that sort. That's okay. If the Marine Corps, and of course I come from a Marine Corps background, hence why I'm saying it, uh, the Marine Corps said you did a great job, great. Put that bullet in there that proves that you did that. Mm -hmm. And I think taking the time to think creatively about those things, I would say for probably majority of job seekers, they don't necessarily know off the top of their head 
what quantifiable information they're going to put throughout their resume. You might have a couple things that stand out, but you might not have, you know, several examples to back up every single position that you've had. Those, the quantifiables though are so important in, you know, getting your resume to a point that it makes you stand out. So it's definitely worth taking the time to make sure that you've focused on that. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about formatting mistakes, um, you know, like what what you should do in terms of, you know, making sure your margins are good and your font's consistent. Um, we talked about, you know, the reverse chronological format, things like that. Are there any other mistakes or things that candidates should definitely leave off their resume that you see for whatever reason that they still a lot of times consistently include? Hmm. Leave off. That's a that's a good question that, you know, usually I, I'm not one for, you know, being short on words, right? But one that you're, you're kind of, I'm not sure how to answer that. Yeah, because it's really opinionated that people will put hobbies on their resume. And I might not personally care that they're a baker. Uh, they like to bake on the weekends. But if I was into that myself, then that might at least spark a conversation. So it's kind of one mm -hmm. of those things where it gets so opinionated that, I don't know, you, you just be you, right? If you think that adds value to show what some of your personal hobbies are, I mean, Put them on there because if it if it creates a conversation with uh, with the employer, you know, great. I just spoke to a, a candidate this morning. Uh, his email address is Irish fan, right? Now I get it. You know, he's a Notre Dame fan, and maybe he needs a more professional email for his uh, for his job search. That's fine, but it created a conversation because I went to Virginia Tech and they just beat us this past weekend in football. So <laughs> yeah, that's the type of thing where if you can create some rapport, uh, maybe you still leave it on there, but Again, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I think that's really the first thing that pops in my mind when you ask it. It's a very, you know, personal case-by-case -case thing. Um, there was another part of your question, though. What, what was it, Megan? Um, just resume mistakes, like something that, you oh, know, kind of things. Yeah. Resume mistakes that you see consistently, I think, really. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of them. I think that uh, – you know, the most common one is just either all text. So, again, that platoon commander example, they provide a block of, like, 10 sentences that say what they did as a platoon commander. Think about, think like a reader, right? And think like you on the Internet. I mean, Twitter, Instagram, everybody is, like, short and to the point. And click here on this link if you want to learn more. So think about that with your, uh, your resume. If you give me a block of text that you know, 10 sentences deep, the chance of me reading it and comprehending it are slim. So that's why you mm -hmm. want to break it into bite-sized chunks. My responsibility, two to three sentences. My bullets that show what I did with that responsibility, three to four bullets. Uh, so that's a common mistake. Uh, and of course, I also see people that only provide bullets. I think you want a little bit of both. And I know this may sound like nitnoid detail, but again, it helps the, me as a reader to have some flow. And I can go back to it. I'll scan the bullets and I'll see something that jumps out to me. Let me read what he was responsible for in this job. I'll go back to that paragraph. So, uh, so again, that's opinion-based. And then, you know, I know this is something that people are going to think, well, that's simple. Spell check. But don't just <laughs> use the word spell check. Because I'll see, and I can't think of the example off the top of my head, but there will be words that are spelled correctly 
but they're not the right word, mm-hmm. if you get what I'm saying. So you got to take the time to go through and make sure that you don't have those typos. And again, you know, if you're the right candidate for the job, an employer's not going to pass on you. But at this stage, when you're applying to a position or they're getting your resume at a, at a career fair or, you know, through Orion even, they don't know if you're the right candidate yet. So they're going to judge you on these types of things. So, uh, so make sure you take the time to, you know, ensure that things are spelled correctly and that you use the right word. I know that's basic advice, but, uh, but I still see it on a regular basis. Yeah, you know, and one thing, just going back to what you mentioned about how some people will have like a hobby section on their resume, I just interestingly enough was reading um, a article earlier about the three interview questions that a JP Morgan executive always likes to ask. And one of them was, what do you do for fun? And so I, I think that maybe even by doing a little bit of research and tailoring your resume when you're applying to jobs, if you're looking up you know, a company and it seems like they've got this culture that's fun and laid back, great work-life balance. Like if those are things that they're advertising, then I think, you know, highlighting your hobbies and your resume is great because it, it shows that you have other interests outside of work. And, you know, realistically, if you're at work all the time, you're probably not getting any opportunities to, you know, unwind and get fresh ideas. You're a little bit run down. So I think a lot of times people and companies value that. They do, but it also makes me concerned because uh, I don't have many hobbies, so I don't know what I would put there. But, uh, <laughs> but that's a me problem. It's good advice for everybody. <laughs> that is one of those questions during an interview. Tell me about yourself when everyone's like trying to think of scramble to think about what you what you actually do outside of work with the little amount of time that you have. <laughs> sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you joining me. I think this is great advice. And, you know, you mentioned that we've got resources on our website. Like I said, I'll make sure that we link those when we post the podcast so that anyone who's interested in getting some different perspective on their resume can go look at those. Of course, they can always contact an Orion recruiter as well. But thank you for all the insight you've provided for us today. No problem. I hope it helps. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond, so make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.